Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here, and this morning we're talking to DC, a US-based games developer who's currently working on their first title, Mutants in the Night. Thank you for being with us, DC. I'm glad to be here. It's probably the afternoon for you, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's about three in the afternoon. And it's like 8 a.m. for me. Um, so it's either, a, it's either a morning talk show or an afternoon talk show, you know, just before the kids get home. <laughs> Uh, so DC, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, starting with, uh, how you got into role-playing games, how you, uh, found them and started playing them? Uh, well, that goes way back, um, back in high school, uh, when I was knee-high to a crooked bug, as some would say. No, I was still pretty tall. I was about this size. Uh, I'm six foot two, by the way, and have always been, apparently. I, uh, I was a part of a video game club, and I met a lot of people there with common interests. And, you know, I nerded out pretty hard. And uh, from there, some of the members of that club uh, were like, hey, let's play Dungeons and Dragons. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll play anything. So um, we went into uh, a, the specific teacher's science room, and that teacher is very important because they actually uh, are a huge part of um, me playing Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And uh, I played my first game there. It was me and a friend with one DM, uh, and our DM was uh, this girl that was super energetic and very into introducing new people into the game. So I'm very thankful for her. And uh, I just started playing. My first roll was a 20. I, like, jumped over a wall that I was trying to scale. And from that moment, I was just, like, it was one of the greatest feelings, playing a game in a different way where we're all just sitting down at a table getting really excited over stuff that I didn't really understand at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, that teacher, um, she has three sons, two of which were uh one was younger than me by a year one was older by a year and because i was hanging out in their their uh her classroom i started hanging out with their sons Uh, i started hanging out at their house which was really close to the school and uh it was one of those homes where everybody would show up people from the block people from the school uh they would feed you play games with you, teach you how to play Dungeons and Dragons and a bunch of other like uh, board games. And we'd watch movies, uh, mystery science theater, a um, uh, bunch of samurai old, like Akira Kurosawa films. Like mm. that was the place to be for like nerds. And I became a part of like that group. And for 10 years on and off, I hung out at that house and uh Wow. We we played everything, but like Dungeons and Dragons was a huge core. Like the parents played with us and stuff. Like they would play as characters or run campaigns for us, and it it would never go past like three sessions. And then we'd have somebody else be like, "Oh, I want to DM," and we'd just play all sorts of crazy stuff. And that happened for a really long time. Like I was fourteen when I met them, and mm-hmm. then I think the last time I hung out at their house, I was maybe. 22 so it was a very long period of time and i owe them like a lot when it comes to gaming and understanding game design as that became a thing later on but that was my beginning that sounds like a really wonderful experience i don't have a lot to compare it to to be honest i've never really encountered a a house that everyone in a a town or or a block or anything like that uh would um or a suburb uh would uh would all gather around um and i i grew up in in the bush at, <laughs> for some of my uh childhood so yeah it's it's, a, it's interesting um it sounds like a really wonderful experience uh the the parents playing with their kids part i have some more of a familiarity with uh from other people's experiences but uh yeah that sounds like a really wonderful thing and how did you transition from playing games into deciding that you wanted to design them? So that story is uh, kind of strange. Yeah, I love um, strange stories. It's a little, it's a little dark. 
Oh, okay. Well, I mean, but uh, I'm like I'm very open about these things. Um, we are we are accommodating for dark stories here. So okay. So uh, I've only been quote unquote officially designing for six months. Yep. Um, and the way that it all started, um, I was actually in the hospital like seven months ago, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I have depression and anxiety. So I had like suicidal ideations, not the first time. It's just a thing that happens. Take care of your mental health, figure stuff out, go back into the world, do what you have to do. So uh, when I got out of the hospital and I was, I had this focus to go, okay, what is it that I want to contribute to the world and bring good into the world? I want to do something because that is the value of life is really contributing in a way that shares your story and provides like a space for people to be understood. And, uh, at the time I was already playing, uh, D and D weekly online. And it was like one of the things that I could come back to. I had like a schedule and I was building up that schedule. So, uh, I got closer to the people I was playing D and D with, and I still play with them now. Um, and I don't remember how I decided, but, you know, I was just in that zone where I had to do things. I had to start creating things. I'm just a creative person. I mean, I, so, under- I understand that drive, definitely. Yeah. So uh, me and my DM just made a D&D 5e class. It's a shaman. We went crazy and did like a bunch of experimental stuff. Uh, the shaman carries around a, um, a blow dart gun and shoots out blow darts that have different potions you can create. And that's how you do damage and do status effects. And you run around collecting like uh, a bunch of different kinds of ingredients to make different kinds of uh, potions. And uh, you can um, try to look into the future and to look into people's emotions through a spirit guide. And uh, it was just this really cool idea where I was like, screw it. Let's just do something nutty. Like it's not, it's not balanced. It's not, like <laughs> it's just fun. It's just like, hey, this thing is going to be really cool to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we made that, and um, I worked so ridiculously hard on it, but I felt so amazing the entire time. And when we finished it and we put it up on DMs Guild, we were like, if we get ten downloads, that's a victory. Just like ten people, we sold it for a dollar. Um. And I don't know how much we have actually. I, I I've checked like the stuff, but I always forget how many people actually have downloaded it. But I, it didn't really matter at that point. Like we had created something and we put it out there, and having honestly just done something, put my heart into it, and then put it out and finished it, having completed something, like changed something inside of me, where I was like, wait, I'm good at this, and like I have a thousand ideas. Like I, if I can complete something just knowing in, in having that evidence that I can complete something. And I think that's something that, that as creators, um, I don't know how aware people in general are about that particular moment in the world of design or art. But uh, once you do that, like the floodgates open and you're like, I can complete anything. Uh, <laughs> it's like the time frame might be different. Um, like mutants in the night has been huge, a lot of stuff to do, but, the whole time I'm just like one, I love it. And two, I can complete it because I have before I released another project right after I worked 10 times harder than that. than I did on the first one, um, which was just a bunch of different races, uh, well, sub races that I wanted to start changing the, um, a lot of the assumptions that people have about those particular races. Cause it's a very loaded thing in, uh, in Dungeons and Dragons and just, uh, Eurocentric fantasy anyways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew that my goal was to start decoding that and making space for other things. So I toyed around in there and completed that and put it out there and people were excited and we put it out for free. We'll pay what you want and got like, I think we're up to like 400 downloads and I don't even promote it. It's just something that I like needed to do. And then, yeah, I mean, mutants, mutants kind of 
came from something else. But if you, if you have any questions, I'm just like going off right now. No, no, no. <laughs> I, this is generally uh, how I like an interview to go. I ask a question to get the get the person going, and then uh, mm. and then when they seem to be running out of steam, I jump in and ask another question. Uh, so uh, you you mentioned that you, your current game, Mints um, in the Night. Uh, so where did the uh, idea to start working on that uh, come from? Uh, it was like the coolest month of my designer life. It's only been six, so, you know. But, <laughs> but it was like the dopest experience because uh, each project got me a little bit closer towards understanding uh, what I really want as a designer. And uh, I don't know if I thought of the question or somebody else did on Twitter, but the question came to me, what is my fantasy? And that's a that's a really, really heavy question to ask yourself because you can you can say like, oh, my fantasy is to go fight a dragon and steal a treasure. But honestly, that's that's the surface level. It's like, why are you doing that? What are you trying to achieve for yourself? Like what what part of yourself or your problems or a goal are you putting inside of that fiction? That's the real question when you're saying what is like your fantasy. So I thought about it and I was like, fuck. I have no idea. And I sat there thinking for a month, all of January, I wasn't doing anything but thinking I was lost in my own mind. Well, I wasn't lost in my mind, but I was like in my, my mind study, just like, okay, putting this together and think about this. You went into your mind palace. Yeah, basically. (laughs) And I was just like, okay, this and that, this and that, this and that. And eventually, cause, cause like black history is a huge thing for me. It's, it's uh, like pivotal to my understanding of of what I want to create because everything I, I was like, okay, how do I represent myself? How do I represent black culture? How do I represent queer culture? Um, how do I put myself in a place where I can answer that question of what my fantasy is and not put myself or my culture or my people into a place where like there, there's that dangerous road where you're like, oh well, now this is a skin suit game, and everyone can play us like, you know, something that they're not, something that shouldn't be played around with, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I was I was smoking a cigarette outside one day, I, I threw it, and I was like, oh man, well, like I can't just put black people like fucking X Men just put mutants, and then in my head I like did a double take, and I was like, wait, X Men put mutants, and it's perfect, like <laughs> that covers all marginalized groups everyone can find themselves in a mutant whether like it doesn't matter what you are how you represent yourself yeah um, you are you often see the you often i, I remember when like x-men first class came out lots of people were like oh this movie doesn't know if it wants mutants to be an allegory for like african-americans or like wants it to be an, an allegory for like refugees or jewish people it doesn't know if it wants it to be an allegory for like being queer i'm like it's meant to be an allegory for all of those things Exactly. Yeah. And when I realized that I was like, yo, I can make a home for people here in mutants. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I did is I was like, yo, the best way to do this, to, to put a lesson for, for some people and a home for other people is to parallel all of the issues and struggles and pressures from real life, put them into the game in a very direct way and then give the marginalized people the power to do something about it, how they choose mm. instead of just a direct, like there's a lot of fluidity in mutants. You can play it a lot of different ways, but the reality of, of the social and political pressures will always be there. And that's the perfect way in my mind to give anyone who decides to play an opportunity to see something from a different perspective um, I really wanted to make sure that I'm like, because as a, as a black man, there's a black male culture has some major weaknesses and that's, um, like sexism, big thing. Homophobia is a big thing. I'm queer. So I'm not really, you know, homophobic. <laughs> not really homophobic. Uh, I love me some gay people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sounds like a great Tinder bio. <laughs> yeah, no, straight up, like, 
honestly like this like a tangent but like the trans community has taught me so much about myself like i've probably shown an exponential amount of support for at least i hope so for trans people because of how much they've given me just from following people on twitter who are like speaking like their truths mm-hmm. but um on that point i guess there's space for everybody and mutants um but the structure of the game from a narrative standpoint stands like this uh, the world is I don't even have to ask this question. <laughs> the world is split into two um where many years ago it was like 10 years ago mutants just existed something awoke in in the human genome or whatever and like 20% of people just became mutants right there. Um because that happened I took tons of things in history um that are like reactionary policies, like everything in mutants that is a law is real and exists in the world right now. And I put it in the game. Oh, geez. Yeah. Like there's, there's a curfew um, because all of the mutants were taken and basically were put into um, a more futuristic version of, of like an internment camp. Oh, Uh, Hey, there's Australia's contribution to the setting. Woo. (laughs) Uh, but it's it's called a mutant safe zone, and they they uh, they take basically the poorest part of the city, all the slums, all that stuff, and they're like, "This is the zone," and they put up a wall, and they're like, "This is where you live." Oh, you so have it's like a ghetto. Yeah, um, you have like this many rights. There's a curfew at nine o'clock. Uh, if you're found outside of the mutant safe zone, and after nine o'clock, you get arrested. Um, people are allowed to be in. Outside of the mutant safe zones, if they have uh, like passes for education or for work, um, they're allowed mostly like to work blue collar jobs because physical mutation is a big thing, which uh, is there to parallel like racism, uh, trans antagonism, like a lot of visibility, even like disability, uh, how people can treat you differently and what kind of jobs you can get based on that stuff, like push to. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of pushed to an extreme. Um, and then there's even like a hate group I made uh, called the purists who are all about pure blood and how mutant blood is this, this disgusting thing that shouldn't exist. And so you have to wa- even watch out for hate groups. Like you don't know what they look like because they don't, they're all colors. They're all genders. They're, they're just not mutants. So that's to reflect a lot of, the same kind of struggles that you have when you're a marginalized person that has like a visible, um, a visible aspect of yourself that people will target. But you, when you walk outside in a space that you don't feel is safe, you don't know what kind of danger you're in. And so that replicates that. Um, yeah, no, I'm feeling that I'm feeling that vibe. Yeah. Less than some would, but still, <laughs> like that pressure needs to be there because like the cops are the same. Like they'll, they'll just harass you or whatever, just because you have, everybody has licenses, but has like a stamped mutant M on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all the dark stuff. <laughs> but, and, and, and I'm guessing that the positive part comes from the fact that you are mutants. There's, there's a couple of, really strong positives. Like it began with the ability to, to fight back um, because not all mutants have powers in this world. It's actually pretty rare. And the people who do usually hide them because the government is after them. They want to know more, uh, you know, um, investigate what makes them different from other mutants, possibly weaponize. You never know. So they stay really low key. Uh, Your group is a gang full of mutants. They're called EMPs because uh, it's like a, it's a slang thing. That's like, Oh, when I'm, when a, an EMP comes around, like everything shuts down around you. Like it's, it's that kind of force. Mm-hmm. So it's, I really like that term that like when I came up with it, I was like, yeah, that's it right there. Yeah. I like um, it. And as EMPs, like usually you want to stay out of sight and like, don't want to be even around others because once somebody figures out that you have something, they could turn you in for a profit or something. Mm-hmm. But your gang is a group of EMPs, which likely has never happened before. And 
you decided, depending on what kind of crew you make, what you want to do in this world, you can go out there and fight the power and try and help out um, like politics because human rights issues are being thrown back and forth. There's this, uh, the major political issue is people are like, are, are mutants considered human? And if not, they don't have access to basic human rights. Uh, so there's a fight going on there that you can get into, but there's also, there's a lot of cultural stuff going on around you. Um, people, people have a really active amount of community impact as EMPs. Uh, you can take the coin that you make and help a business. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of the vices are integrated in stuff that people do from all these different rep, uh, groups I'm representing, but it's like, if you go out and your thing is to go get your hair done and get your nails done and like be a fashion fashionista or whatever, mm -hmm. um, as like your vice, you're also connected to community there. Um, yeah, because that vice doesn't work unless you're visible. Yeah. Um, if you're into competition and you do fighting game stuff or you race in the streets or whatever you do, everything you do affects the community. So you have an opportunity to uh, get rich and be a, be a scoundrel if you want to. You can get rich and affect politics or you can try and help the people in the mutant safe zone who are all these lovely folks who they party and they take care of each other and they make music and they make art and there's graffiti and there's just like everything, all kinds of expression from all of these groups come together. Mm -hmm. It's like this really beautiful thing that you're, you're living in, but also you want more for, for them or for yourself. And that's the choice you have to really make in the game. Wow. Wonderful. I'm, Interested to talk about the kind of um, mechanics, which you touched on a little bit, um, that reinforce, reinforce the community engagement themes. But uh, quickly first, you mentioned, um, you mentioned spending the coin that you make and, uh, and the vices being connected to the community and things like that. Um, uh, those sound like mechanics from Blades in the Dark. Is this a Forged in the Dark game? Oh, yeah. This is a Forged in the Dark game. I totally did not mention that. No, no, no. That's fine. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to clarify those kinds of points. Um, yeah. Uh, so why did... What What about Blades in the Dark and it's... Uh, and it's... is the word. Um and and the various hacks of it um, made you go, yes, this is perfect for my game. What what themes, what mechanics uh, did you see in that and realize that this works for you and what you want to make? Um, as soon as, as uh, I read Blades, I was like, I'm going to make a hack. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hadn't even played the game yet. I was just like, I'm going to make a hack of this game. Uh, and it's because John Harper... Like I have a hard time because I try not to like get super, super like, Oh my God, these people. But from a strictly design standpoint, John Harper is a fucking genius. Um, this game has so much um, that you can change. Like it's like, imagine like a really big, like grandfather clock and it's a beautiful grandfather clock. Right. And you can walk in and uh, you like look around and there's all these pieces and stuff. It's like John John left these pieces in there that just say like if you take this out the clock will keep working but it'll work differently. Mm. And you look around there's another piece and it's like this piece you can just you can just take it out or you can replace it with something else. Like it's it's so crazy and there are pieces laying around too in this metaphorical giant clock is there's all these pieces laying around and John's like, this clock functions amazing. If you look at all the pieces, it all works together. But at the same time, you can take any of these pieces and replace them. And this clock will still work. And that's I guess a, mechanically, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's an amazing way to conceptualize it, but also I hadn't heard anyone talk about blades in the dark in that way before, like about it's, uh, modularity and it's not even a thing I'd really thought about before because it's not the way that I had engaged with the game so it's a very interesting perspective yeah it's just that's that's immediately what I saw like the first yeah. thing I was like 
<clears throat> I was like, yo, you left. It's, it's like someone left a puzzle inside of this thing that they made, but the thing that they made is also amazing. Um, so when looking at the individual parts, um, John made a game that secretly is about how poor people make bad decisions because you need money mm-hmm. and without money, you can't do anything. And then as the game goes on, the I'm, the classic saying, more money, more problems. <laughs> Just That's how it works. In our case, it ended up being, being gag war. <laughs> Just gag war every which way. <laughs> Yeah. Gag war with ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Demons come back for their contracts, you know, like uh and all of those themes, like people people on, on one level are like, Oh yeah, this is fun. I can be like the sly person that has these cool abilities and fucks with magic and all this stuff. And I'm like, John is trying to show you, and this is just my opinion, this is not his. Unless it is, he gets to decide that. John's trying to show you what it looks like when you are struggling at the bottom and what happens. Like you don't in blades, you don't make so much money that you just get out of all your problems. Mm-hmm. Your problems stay there and they grow and you have to keep trading off the consequences of things and your actions just to get a little bit further, but nothing is ever actually resolved because there's always somebody that's out to get you because you participated in this system that there's no other option. And that's like, honestly, it's talking about capitalism and being dirt poor. Um, And once I, I saw that, I was like, I can take this and I can say something very specific about that same issue by diving into my personal experiences, my culture. And then of course the culture of other marginalized people that are standing right next to me, basically Mm-hmm. Uh, and allow this game to be for everyone in that same way that I'm like, I'm, I'm a little bit more straightforward because I, a part of mutants is like, Hey, black people, this game is for you and there's space for everybody else, but it's for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and honestly, same with like the LGBTQ community. Um, and yeah, that's why, that's why blades just like immediately spoke to me. I was like, yo, I can, I can take the pieces on the ground, but I could also make my own, uh, Blades is, that's what, I get mad. <laughs> I get mad at John Harper because I'm like, every time I, I like review something, I go over something and I'm like, you left this stuff in here that's so like malleable. Like you just left like clay. Like you built, you built like this big ass mansion out of clay. Like, how did you do that? And he's like, you know, you worked on it for 10 years or whatever. But it's like, yeah, you can turn that house into anything. Yeah, wow, that's a that's a very interesting way of conceptualizing it. So, um, I'm very interested in um, community games at the moment, and in particular games about like building communities and things like that. And I didn't really know that that was going to be a feature of Mutants in the Night because I haven't like I haven't looked at the game yet, obviously, because um, it's not out. Uh, so, <laughs> when you started talking about that, I was very, 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 very interested. So, what are some of the ways that um, your game mechanically reinforces the themes of community? And what are some of those themes that you are really focusing on? Um, like, is it about building community? Is it about keeping your community strong? Things like that. So, Right now, that's something that I'm I'm working through. Look, that's a good answer. <laughs> uh, but it actually comes back to vices pretty heavily because I'm changing vices slightly. Me- mechanically, it's slight, but it's actually a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, because usually vices are something that it's just like, oh, I participate in my vice. I'll give you like a short descriptor of like doing the thing like stupor. Um, I'm going to go to the, the fight club. It's like, Oh, who are you going to fight? I'm going to fight Johnny and you fight Johnny. And like, are you going to overindulge? Okay. All right. Um, mm-hmm. I changed all the vices, um, worked with my discord community to like get some, some feedback. Um, and, uh, Avery gave me like a really good idea that just like, it was like a seed that turned into a tree and all of the vices now are now both different and they're going to be things that, you have to like really role play out um, because those are going to be you interacting with the community. 
mm-hmm. and forming connections with the community uh, for most cases um, and seeing how while you're indulging in your vice, you're surrounded by other people who are doing the same. And so you can role play out conversations with other people in these spaces uh, and that starts to form more of a connection for the players to go like, well, for example, I have, uh, which one do I want? Display slash stunt. And I don't know if you're familiar with the term because I use a lot of uh, African-American vernacular English in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's why I put like display slash stunt. so people have a good idea. That's, Something oh, where, stunt mm, with an N on the end. Okay. Yes. Yes. Now like I'm now I'm there. On somebody. Yeah. I, yeah. Have, I I think I have a concept of that. Right. So the whole thing about that vice is it's not a particular action or like list of actions. You can come up with something if you're like from for me for example I would probably pick like rap battles because I think rap battles are so cool and the display there is trying to get people's attention, get that energy around you. And that's what like relaxes you and like gets you back and de-stresses you. Um, If somebody who has like a different background or isn't into that kind of stuff, that could be like, yo, I skate at the skate park and I try to pull off like the sickest tricks. So like everybody is watching me. Like I do um uh, recordings of like with the fisheye lens and just pop off on all of my tricks. Um, but people having to role play all that stuff out just makes it so that there's a lot more uh, integration of the NPCs who usually are just like unimportant in those situations. Like I have fashion slash slay, which mm-hmm. is probably my favorite. Sounds where it's <laughs> it's like you're just you are a fashionista. You can you can. Uh, you can do drag. You can do YouTube videos of just doing your makeup. Or Avery came up with that idea, and I was like, "Yo, that's genius!" Um, uh, you can just be like, a, "There's someone I follow on Twitter who's in my Discord community who just has like insane fashion skills, just constantly slaying on Twitter." That could be your vice. Like, get your likes, talk to people, show yourself, um, and that's the kind of thing that I want people to, to have as their vice so that there's a community connection to that. Like you're talking to people you're, if you're out getting your hair and your nails done, you're in a shop and you're, you're talking to people that you trust to do your hair and nails. Like those are friends. A lot of the um, ideas you're communicating, um, not just in, uh, in this discussion, but when we were talking um, a bit earlier about how uh, like when you're, when you're one of these EMPs, people like, you, you you are very much a visible part of your community, or, or rather, if you are visible, it is like it's a, it's either zero or it's a hundred. Was the vibe I got? Um, it reminded me a lot of, um, at the very least, the Luke Cage Netflix series. Uh, like yeah. Once uh, there's uh, in particular, there's an episode where he's just walking around um, all day. I think in the lead up to a funeral, he's just walking around all day trying to fix these uh, these problems because people have like been tarnishing his name or whatever. But that that's like the very much the feeling I get from the stuff you're saying. Um, yeah, the, the the scene that you were just describing with being at the nail shop also kind of reminded me of that um, a little bit too. I can just imagine like you know this this super powered individual getting getting their nails done, and then someone's like, oh, there's a bunch of cops coming into the zone. It's like, oh, shit. Right. And then it's like... Do something about that. Gotta go. Um, if you choose to to be, like, a defender of the, uh, of the people of the community, like, that affects how you're talking to the people in those situations. Um, and then I am going to... It's, it's all in my head, but I gotta write down... Uh, well, I have to make a crew sheet that is about community and about being able to maybe start programs, you know, um, bolster um, uh, businesses that are already there. Are you going to have different crew types or are you picturing something to borrow from a Powered by the Apocalypse game? Um, The Warren doesn't have playbooks for the different rabbits. It's just there's Mm. one rabbit playbook and and everyone has access to this list of 
special moves that they pick is your crew are you going to have a bunch of different crew playbooks or is it going to be one crew playbook and then you can slot in these other pieces into it to customize it um i think i'm gonna roll with multiple yeah fair uh just because there are a lot of there are a lot of different ways that you can play the game Mm -hmm. and uh the the best bit of feedback that i got about mutants when it was in um the older version, which is much smaller than this one. Uh, there's a new player who was like, yo, this looks amazing and I want to play, but like, I like have never played blades and I'm a little confused as to what to do. So putting out like playbooks and stuff, um, is something that I just feel is important so that people can have the first step. Like it's a, it's a guide. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a lot of what, what John has done with blades. Um, and it's a lesson that like hovered over my head, but I need to like drag that down is give people a place to start because people can make whatever they want in this world that like fits their style and their culture and what they like. Um, but I think like throwing down a playbook, that's like a, we're, we're all about trying to pull off all of these jobs so that we can, uh, we can support, uh, a politician that's working really hard to establish mutant rights. Mm -hmm. Like, I got to have a playbook for that. If it's going to be so different from people who are just like, yo, I just want to get rich and get into the culture and like make music or do graffiti or uh, become an athlete or become a model or an influencer, whatever you do. So I want to make sure that that range is established. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, You mentioned Avery a bit. And obviously, I know who you're talking about, and I know why you're mentioning them. But I thought it might be interesting to discuss with uh, our audience um, who Avery is and your connection to her. Avery, uh, Avery just, just quickly, who Avery is. Mostly, we want to talk about how you're connected to her. Yeah, uh, she is just a monster. Um, <laughs> I, like a good descriptor. Just, <laughs> she is a beast. Uh, just she does tabletop um she's made monster hearts uh which is a really really great game yeah we uh, just started airing our actual play series of monster hearts actually excellent choice um which is about like being queer and going through a lot of changes and exploring that through actually becoming a monster um she's also one of those people that like john john as a creator is kind of sly um with blades in the dark um Avery is kind of more my speed where she's like, yo, it's here right, right in front right in your face. Uh, she's made the quiet year, which I think is one of the craziest, like in a good way games, uh, a favorite of us here at insert quest team. We've played it a few times. Yeah. Where you, you just build a community and think about all the stuff that you need. And as time moves forward, your needs change and maybe you haven't completed X, Y, Z. Like it's a very community based game because Avery is all about community um like understanding each other and so how that relates to me is uh i am a twitter beast and avery just liked a response i made to to her tweet before i even knew who she was and uh she messaged me and was like yo i see that you're working on like D stuff uh let me know if there's anything you want me to like promote or whatever because like there aren't enough like black men out there being represented I was like, I'm not really a designer, but I have some stuff. And then later, a couple of weeks later, she launched her mentorship program. And me and all the, the designers that I was talking to were like, yeah, just just sign up. Just see what happens. Um, and so I actually did not get picked, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I don't know if people know that. Uh, I didn't get picked to to be one of her interns because I didn't I wasn't working on a game at the time, uh, but she was like, "We'll have like a one hour session on Skype, and you can just ask me anything, and I'll come prepared with like stuff and tools to like just help you get started." And I flipped over that. I was like, "This is this is a blessing from heaven because I I didn't know what to do. I didn't really have any guidance." So, me and Avery talked for an hour. She gave me just like loads of stuff to research and get into and play. Um, and I've, I actually looked back on it like a week or two ago and I I've completed like 90% of the stuff uh, that she sent me. And at the end of the whole thing, uh, I was, I was just like absorbing everything. 
but I had like this heavy weight in my heart. And I was like, yo, Avery, it's kind of serious question. Like, I, f- I don't feel like a designer, you know, like I'm just, just doing shit. Like, when do you feel like a designer? And Avery being the like super emotionally intelligent person that she is like gave me the most honest answer and was like, you're a designer. Like once, once you decide that you're a designer, you're basically a designer. It's kind of what she said to me. Like all it takes is like you doing stuff. As long as you're doing something, that's it. If you're thinking about it, like that's still like you're designing. Um, and the way that most games work these days is everyone's being tricked into <laughs> into being a game designer. As soon as you play the game, uh, you're making stuff up. Like people usually end up making homebrewed rules or whatever. And once like she said that to me, I like like a weight fell off of my shoulders. And then uh, she started hitting me up on Twitter every now and again because I make like all these uh, insightful Twitter threads and stuff about what's going on because I want to keep representation high and everything. And uh, we were just talking, talking. She would give me some stuff to watch or read and just check up on how I'm doing, which is also lovely. And uh, eventually she was like, yo, we we, we basically are in a mentor-mentee uh, relationship. <laughs> relationship here. So, like, do you want to just make it official, put your name on the thing? I was like, yeah, sure. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I trust you a lot. We're always talking about this stuff. Like, it's awesome. So uh, we've talked a couple times since then. Recently, a couple days ago, she went through mutants like and really understood what I was trying to do. Um, helped me understand some things that like I was thinking about, but like would be really good to change. Uh, like her experience was just like, here you go. Here's I know what you want to do. Here are some good ways that you can do it. Take her, leave it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like tweaking a lot of things that she gave to me. And uh, my Discord community has like, it's some place that I bounce a lot of stuff off of. And uh, so it's at that point where mutants is in its, its last stretch, like for sure. I know exactly what it wants to be now and like how to convey everything. Right. And uh, Avery has been like a big part of like getting my mind in the right place. Honestly. Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. And it, it sounds like a great uh, relationship too. It feels like um, you're talking about her say, you know, here's some ideas, take it or leave it. I think that's a really healthy um like kind of dynamic of here are some things that I think could work, but by all means, I am not the ultimate authority on this thing. It is your project to what you think, think works. Yeah. That's exactly how she, she approached it. Yeah. I think that's great. And it sounds like it's a wonderful thing. Um, uh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And also the thing about the designer stuff as well. Um, when someone else calls you by as a, as a, a trans person, it's when someone calls you by the thing that you are being and they acknowledge that it feels even more real, even if even if no one to- told you by the... Even if you'd still be doing that thing, if no one called you by that title or that name or that um, descriptor, um, it feels even more real when others acknowledge that. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but that's beautiful. Um. There's a there's a book series that I read, um, which is by Brandon Sanderson. It's a Stormlight Archive. And in it, there's a character that um, basically has the mundane superpower of um, just pretend to be the thing you want to be. And if you believe it hard enough, uh, no one's going to be able to question you and tell you <laughs> otherwise. And obviously... She ends up with actual superpowers related to that theme, but even without that, before she had that superpower, it was very, uh, it was very cool, and, and that's like a thing that I've incorporated into myself. It's like, if no one else knows that I'm not the thing, then when I say I am the thing, they can't argue. I often use that to when I want to. I often use that idea when I'm like, oh, I don't want to be annoying in this. In this social environment, it's like, well, I'm not annoying. I'm I'm the kind of person that's not annoying. Clearly, they don't know that I'm annoying. And <laughs> conversation, I'll just be a different person. Um, well, honestly, you're probably just not annoying. You know. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> that was more of an example, I suppose. But yeah, um, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Uh, so, um, there was another thing. Oh yeah, I've got these notes all over my table. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, 
I'm just going to sort of bounce across these ideas that I have written here. Uh, and let's start with rap martial art. So you mentioned rap earlier um, oh, yeah. and rap battles. Um, I heard about ages ago from somewhere a game designer that was thinking about doing um, was talking about how often martial arts and combat focused games that are trying to portray like exciting and interesting um, like martial arts movie style combat um, end up being too like mechanical and granular Uh, and they suggested that the only way to do a martial arts uh, RPG that felt um, felt uh, authentic for them was if it was like a rap battle where each person like is slinging descriptions at the other and then you're sort of like twisting those descriptions and slinging them back um, and I think it was actually Caleb Stokes who made Red Markets which is weird because very different game um, but yeah I just I wanted to share that thought with you <laughs> I am so glad that you did, because that is the freshest idea I've ever heard about combat, and it's a hundred percent correct. Look, I mean, yeah, it's certainly why I like Fate, um, and why my martial arts god game is in Fate. <laughs> uh, so the like, other, yeah, no, um, just real quick, yeah, 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 go for it. The thing that's really interesting about rap and martial arts. Mm. Is that they collided because of that reason. They're so similar. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, that actually. Because there's like rhythm and attack and like a fluidity that goes back and forth, especially if you're like freestyling against somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so the movement, like the re- like they're way back in the, the 70s, like late 70s, early 80s. I feel like one of the reasons that martial arts just became like so huge is because there's such a similarity that like nobody even thought of. But it is about like thinking about yourself, refining yourself through an action, practicing those actions, um, and being able to like respond and like do it in a creative way. But there's actually there's also this base structure, which is like the different. Usually, it's, it's kind of explained regionally, but like all these different types of rap and like in the um, in the poetic sense, like people do. A B A B and some people are like A B B A kind of thing. Like that's your structure to work mm-hmm. with and kind of play with that and then do that with somebody else. Like, yeah. Most of my very limited knowledge of rap and I mean, honestly, very limited knowledge of music because it's not really a medium that I have connected with very thoroughly in my life. Um, but most of my knowledge of rap actually comes from like, um, I guess like British hip hop and things like that. Mm. And also, very very limited exposure to um australian um rap and things like that uh recently though i have been very into ab original um who uh is a which is a duo from australia and i think um i think they're both indigenous australians i think yes both members are indigenous australians yeah uh they actually did the theme song for clever man which was another thing i wanted to talk to you about <laughs> Mm. Um, Talk to me about it. Tell me. So, Clever Man is a kind of like a superhero, I guess, very low tech kind of cyberpunk in a way um, uh, show from Australia. Um, It's got a lot of indigenous themes and is primarily about indigenous peoples. Um, And it uh, has uh, this, there's this, there's this mythological. Uh, well, not mythological, I guess, but there's this there's this believed secret people in some um, uh, Native Australian uh, cultures that uh, of the of I think they're called the hairy people, who are like slightly larger humans that are very hairy and yeah, whatever. In in Clever Man, those people are definitely one hundred percent real. They live for like two hundred years, are super strong, and are prejudiced against. Uh, and they're like rounded up into these um, into the zone in Sydney. I think it's called the zone. Um, and uh, and the zone is in Redfern. Redfern being traditionally a um, Aboriginal neighbourhood, yeah, um, and a low economic uh, neighbourhood. So like, there's all these there's these Aboriginal people that are living in the zone because they've always lived there um, since 
you know, Redford was built or whatever. And then there's the hairy people that have been shoved in there and are not allowed to leave. Um, and this interaction between their superpowers and then the, uh, with these superpowered individuals. And then there is the clever man who is, um, this like, kind of like this kind of wise, vaguely supernatural, um, sort of elder type character, like, uh, from some Aboriginal, um, cultures and things like that. Uh, and they're like, Joel, uh, my understanding from what I've seen in the show is that like their historic goal is, or role rather is to like be this me in between between uh between like balancing uh the dreaming uh and and uh and like intermediary yeah like the physical plane or whatever and then uh the like clever man in the first episode of the show gives their power to their like shitty snot-nosed like rejects his culture betrays the hairy people in order to make some quick bucks to the authorities. Yeah. Um, he gives his, the clever man gives his power to that guy. Um, he's like, nah, your brother, who's the community leader, he's, he does, he can't handle this power. You've got to have it. <laughs> and like, you slowly like see why the brother hasn't given the power and things like that. But the, the mention of the zones very much reminded me of clever man. And it is definitely a show worth checking out. That's cool, man. That's um, it, uh, yeah. I know there's uh, a lot of, history being played with in that way and uh i tried to make a lot of the stuff in mutants reflective of stuff that's not just the u.s but like a combination of some historical stuff and stuff outside of the u.s and that's very uh very similar vibes yeah indeed i just yeah it's like the only thing i've ever really encountered um that it's one of the few examples of australian sci-fi that is actually made by australians and it's also about um, indigenous people and about indigenous narrative. And uh, it just really brings that forward in a way that nothing else in Australia has done. Um, and it's just very good. And also it's got a good, good theme to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That group you're talking about. A, 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 B, A, A, B original. A, B original. Um, they actually they just put out. Oh. Like Aboriginal. Recently, yeah. I, could, I just got that. They recently yeah. put out an album called Reclaim Australia. Reclaim Australia being like a racist group in Australia that's like trying to re... A bunch of white people trying to reclaim Australia from like immigrants and foreigners. Yeah, I know uh, that. I know that vibe. And so they, they be original named their album Reclaim Australia and it's got some nice angry vibes. I'm about it. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, mutant copyright. Is mutant copyrighted? Are you going to run into trouble with that? Is Marvel going to sue you? No. Good. I'm glad. I was worried. <laughs> I thought we were going to have... They do, they're not getting anything. I'm broke. <laughs> I don't care. They can come at me. That's kind of how I feel like about uh, music and stuff on the podcast. Or when I talk about... Uh, talk about how people should copyright um not copyright how people should pirate uh uh world of darkness stuff do not give that company your money uh, <laughs> i 100 will always go on the record in fact in public in, in any medium you can put me on i will always encourage people to steal from white wolf <laughs> you cannot stop me from encouraging people to steal from white wolf speak your truth man Garbage company with garbage, garbage ideas. <laughs> no, I feel it. I'm down with the theft. <laughs> it's one of the like. It's one of the only companies I will encourage you to steal from. Like I don't like D and D because it's not my vibe. But I don't think that Wizards of the Coast and Paizo and whatnot are horrible individuals. Yeah, they got some good folk in there. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so. Um, I think I feel like now I've been talking for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, um, man. We're just, we're just, you know. This is the nice chit chat portion. Um, was there anything else about um mutants in the night that you wanted to share with our audience? Um, uh, any anything else that you think um we might have missed? 
Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a whole bunch that we missed, but anything that you just in this moment <laughs> feel like you want to share? Not really. It's coming soon. Y'all, y'all have a time with it. It will be perfect because it's my first project, mm-hmm. but it's perfect to me. That's <laughs> that's what that's what I'm shooting for right now. I I I 100% am of the opinion that perfection is a thing to aim for and never be attained. Yeah, yeah. You shoot for perfection and you land in air. Yeah, 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 it'll do. That's how I feel about it, yeah. Um, cool, wonderful. Um, I normally like to ask people uh, what other projects they might be working on soon. Uh, so I'll, I'll do that, even though I imagine that you're very much like enveloped in Mutants in the Night. Do you have anything else on the radar? Uh, I'm too busy. Honestly, yeah. it seems um, like you've been on a few streaming things lately. Uh, we were actually on a stream together recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you got any more plans to do stuff like that? Yes. Um, next month is going to be the beginning of of actual consistent streaming. Cool. Um, because I've got some ideas. For me, the only thing between me and streaming has been figuring out a schedule because I'm not consistent. Uh, my, in my personal life, my sleep schedule is different. Some days I'm feeling it. Some days I'm not feeling it, mm-hmm. but, uh, I'm definitely going to start doing a game design stream where we dissect games. Ooh, dissecting and, your fun. Yeah. And getting into like, well, it's going to start with like the popular titles, stuff that I've been playing recently, stuff that I've learned from those games, um, from the perspective of, of course, a new designer and, um, then going into actual plays of those games. Yeah, cool. And then probably a little post-mortem about like, okay, so here's how I saw the game, this particular mechanic or feature. Here's how it worked out in the game. Here's how somebody used it differently and creatively. What that means design-wise, you know? Yeah. Because um, that's uh, a lot of it is like stuff that I'm already kind of doing anyways in my head. Mm. But um, they're, the big reason that I want to do this is because although... Oh, the community is wildly great at, at giving out resources and stuff. There isn't a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff about the process of learning. Like uh, Adam Cobell does a really good job of breaking down, like how to um, once you, after you understand everything, how to put it together. Mm-hmm. Um, but there isn't a lot of, how do you get to understanding? There's, um, there's a podcast sort of on a similar vibe, um, slightly different to that. There's a podcast called, Game Designers Workshop, which is done by the people behind Role Playing Public Radio, which does a bunch of actual play stuff. Mm. Um, and they, on Game Designers Workshop, which they found out like after they recorded their first episode, is also the name of an actual game design company because they didn't think to Google their name before they made their podcast. Oh my. <laughs> um, uh, game Designers Workshop is a podcast where they uh, basically are the. It rec- catalogs, categorized journals, logs, their creation of their role-playing games in real time. Mm. So, like, it goes through and keeps track of um, primarily uh, Caleb designing Red Markets is the main through line. And that goes from conception and research all the way up through release and post-Kickstarter stuff, which they are now in. But it also touches on the stuff that uh, Ross, the other host, is designing um, uh, horror games and, and things like that and stuff that they've learned. But, yeah, the genesis of the idea was Caleb's going to make a game and we're going to record Caleb making the game. I like that. That's the kind of stuff I want to see and do, honestly. Yeah, indeed. No, no, no. I find, like, for... I find the content that I enjoy making the most um, is stuff that I... Uh, talking about um, the things... Uh, the stuff that you're doing is stuff that I was probably already going to do anyway. Yeah. Um, and I'm that's content of, right there. And I'm just sort of putting a camera there. Yeah. That's um, how I feel about it. The other day I just live streamed myself drawing things on paper because I needed to complete some Patreon stickers basically. That's good. Uh, yeah. Share them, yeah. the behind the scenes. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. So, um, where can people find you online? You mentioned you had a Discord community. You sound like you're active on Twitter. I mean, I know you're active on Twitter. Um, where can people find you? Um, best place to find me is on Twitter, at Dungeon Commander, but there's no E in Commander. It's just DR. Um, from there, 
all of my links are up there. Uh, there's a link to my Discord community and my pinned tweet, uh, my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash DCRPGs, RPGs. Um, and that's also where you can find uh, the public versions of Mutants in the Night. Um, I'm going to be posting some more public stuff up there, but uh, that's where you can find me. I tweet quite a bit and I try to be very honest and open about my feelings and opinions in hopefully an intelligent way. And uh, yeah, Ray, it's been awesome. It has been wonderful talking to you, DC. And it was, I mean, both again and, uh, and just even if this had been the first time, um, <laughs> uh, the joke there, of course, being that when DC and I found ourselves on the same stream, we didn't know that we were going to be on the same stream. <laughs> It was serendipitous. It was fantastic. Uh, but yes, uh, and we will have links to all of the uh, all of the uh, things that DC just mentioned uh, down below. Uh, and uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs>